I am your host VS Coogan and welcome to the Maverick on Air, where every month I introduce you to some of the most unique minds around the world who have chosen the path less traveled, challenge conventional wisdom and are pushing the boundary of achievement. Join me on this journey as I try and unravel the secrets to their success to help inspire you to be all that you can be. Today on our third episode, I am joined by Eve Yasmin. She's a music artist and songwriter from London with R&B, soul and pop influences in British, Moroccan and Spanish origin. Eve won the Pride of Morocco Award in 2013 and was a top 20 finalist for the National Mobile Unsung in 2014, which is dedicated to identifying and celebrating the next generation of musical talent. Having headlined the O2 Academy in Islington early this year, her music career is taking off and with one of her latest singles, Wild Run, catching the eye of a number of London-based producers, the future looks brighter than ever for the London artist. Eve, it's great to have you on the show. Coogan, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be on here and to do this with you. Wicked. So I'm looking forward to learning more about all the exciting projects you're currently working on. But as we like to do here on the Maverick on Air, let's take a trip down memory lane to where it all started for the girl from Harrow. Tell us how your passion for singing and dancing began and what influences you've had growing up. So since I can remember, I just always had such a passion for music. And my grandpa would always play his classical music in the living room in his house and he'd get out his baton and pretend to conduct an orchestra and I'd get involved in that and my dad he was a musician growing up in Morocco he'd do different gigs and he plays keys and he's really into jazz especially so I grew up listening to so many different genres of music and I was always drawn to it and I danced from a young age and this is where my love for R&B music grew. I just remember my dance teacher giving me a Sierra goodie CD and that was it. <laughs> Game over. <laughs> that was just the beginning of me discovering more and more about the R&B genre. And when I was 17, I met a music producer called Omar and he was the person who really encouraged me to pursue this seriously. It was always something I loved but I wasn't that confident about it. I used to experience a bit of stage fright sometimes. And I guess I did the thing that a lot of us do. I compared myself to other people and I didn't feel I was good enough. And once I realized you have your own voice and you've got a story to tell, it kind of cancels everything else out. And I just focused on what I love about it, how it makes me feel and that aspect of sharing. I just feel music so powerful. And yeah, that was the beginning. And music has always been a great platform for an artist to express themselves. And your song, Losing You, is a great example of that, which you um, dedicate to your grandfather. Thank you. How much of the music you create has been exactly that, a form of self-expression? I feel all of it is to some degree. I mean, the lyrics will always vary. Sometimes they do derive from like a real life experience and other times... I'll take something I've seen or heard and exaggerate it into some fairy tale. But Losing You was very therapeutic for me. My grandpa was such a special and amazing person and he had such a big influence on my life and music especially. And I remember recording that with Sikio Serge and it was the day after he died and it really was an outpour of emotion. And as mentioned before, it, it was therapeutic and I feel like Music's so beautiful in that way, how you can really express your heart and all these emotions that get crammed up inside of you. It really is a release. You have a diverse cultural background as well, which makes it very interesting and gives you a lot of elements to work with. Thank um, you. <laughs> what influence has your culture and roots had on your music? 
you know what, it has influenced me so much, especially growing up in the UK. So I grew up here, I was born in London, and apart from Dubai, I've lived here all my life. And from a young age, I was just so curious to learn about my dad's side because I've got my mum and dad here, my brothers and siblings, and my grandparents from my mum's side. But all my dad's family and my grand from my dad um, were all in Morocco and Spain. And it was just I remember when I was 14, for example, in my auntie's house in Casablanca and going through all their fashion magazines and just being amazed at all the beautiful traditional Moroccan wear, the kaftans, the makeup styles. And as I started to get more into music, I really made an effort to discover and learn more about Moroccan artists. And I remember to this day, one of the first Moroccan artists my dad showed me was this singer called Ahmed Sultan. And it's just incredible how things work out because Ahmed came to London to do his debut London show. And he did a workshop for young musicians and someone sent me a poster for it and I went to it and I showed him this song that I'd written called Father Tongue. And Father Tongue is all about wanting to learn more about your dad's culture, the music, the language, all the beautiful things about it. And I showed him it and he was like, why don't you join me on stage? And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I love this guy. I love his music. I love what he stands for. And to be invited on stage to perform with him was such a big deal for me. And that was one of, I think, maybe, so obviously Omar's Moroccan, of Moroccan origin as well, producer. But Ahmed Sultan was, I think, the first Moroccan artist I had worked with. And even now, I've just been on a song which collaborated with nine other Moroccan artists. And I want to continue exploring all the different genres of music and including all the different languages in the song. I just feel it's so beautiful. Yeah. And would you say that was um, one of the turning points of your life or, or a pivotal part of your life? Definitely. And I just feel it when, when you come from a mixed background, it can go either way. Sometimes people will really want to encourage you into the culture and then you also get a lot of, you don't know this, you don't know that. It can be quite a negative experience. And I just want to make all the effort I can to learn as much as I can about every single part of me and also really encourage other people who have grown up in another country and are trying to learn about their culture to learn, but also in a positive way to encourage them. I feel like we need to encourage people, not put them off. And you never know what someone's background is. So if someone's making effort, encourage that. In different points of my life, I've had several role models who've helped me so much. Um, I used to sing in a gospel choir, CK gospel choir, and I became best friends with a girl in the gospel choir, Andrea. And it's just amazing all these different experiences in your life, how much people can affect you in such a positive way. For example, my family couldn't afford for me to do dance lessons as a kid and I entered this competition to win street dance classes and I won it and this lady called Miss Etienne, she ran a performing arts school and this again like had such a big influence on my love for performing arts but also nurturing it and helping me grow and I'm very thankful to her and I just reconnected with her recently and it's just insane like she got involved in so my new song glow up I have this glow up challenge that I'm doing and people are doing dance videos or makeup videos or anything they feel like and she made one doing a makeup tutorial and I'm like oh my gosh Miss Etienne <laughs> like I'm still 100% a fan girl of her I, I always looked up to her I remember when she was wearing her pineapple tracksuits and I just thought this woman is the coolest and I definitely you know throughout all my life have had incredible role models to look up to and I'm thankful for that. 
So just going back to kind of the, the cultural side of things, you know, Habibi, for the first song you recorded with combined English lyrics with an Oriental instrumental, yeah. um, which you shot in Morocco. Yes. Uh, must have been pretty cool. How was that experience like? That experience was insane. It all began because I had seen someone going up this blue staircase on Facebook and I took a picture of it or a screenshot or whatever I did at the time. And I just remember saying, I'm going to find out where this place is and this is where I'm going to shoot the Habibi video. I was fixated on it. It took four months to get that filming permit. Nothing oh. was easy. Everyone, you know, just looks at the video. I'm like, oh, it's such a nice video. And I'm like, you have no idea of what went into this. But it was 100% worth it. It was a mixture of a UK team and Moroccan team. There were a lot of complications because we didn't get the permit before landing. So when I landed... Oh, at the airport. Oh my gosh. There was all these different things going on. So the policeman thought we were bringing a drone and drones aren't allowed. We didn't have a drone, but this is all happening in French. And my crew have like, no idea what's going on. This is my GCSE French, like trying my best to like <laughs> persuade this police officer. And he took me to this office where there's all this confiscated equipment. And I'm like panicking, like, oh my God, like I, this can't happen. And I'm already thinking of plan B and I'd ensured the camera guy's kit. And all, my, all these things are running through my mind. And my gran had come to surprise me at the airport. And I didn't even know. But she had stopped the taxi that was waiting for us outside. Because we were stuck for like an hour. Saying, please wait. You know, they will be coming out. And I just remember that. It was just one thing after the other. And one of my best friends, he gave me this like you know them old school brick phones yep. with a Moroccan sim inside the yeah. night before I flew and it had a bit of credit on it and it was like for emergencies and I remember I had this and I was like right let me try and ring the production company again it was something like 5 to 6 p.m like the time where you would imagine offices would start to be closing so I ring them up I explain and then he says he's gonna send the document and then it's sent to the police officer and then he clears it and I'm so relieved and everyone's still like what's going on <laughs> But it came together, it did, and my gran has successfully let the taxi driver stop. And I remember coming out of that section and seeing mi abuela Akola, my grandmother, and I just burst into tears. It was so emotional, and I just remember giving her the biggest hug. And we got into the taxi, and it was sunset time, and I just remember it was just so magical. We're going through the Rift Mountains, and even the skies were turning into this beautiful type of blue at the time and we arrived to Chef Shaolin and I remember getting out the taxi and just looking around and it was such a fairy tale it's called the blue city and all the houses and all your surroundings are painted blue and occasionally you'll see a bit of purple or red like the Riyadh we were staying in but it was absolutely magical and it was so much fun I really really loved that shoot and just the people involved and how it all came together it was really special and was that the first music video you shot? Yeah, it was. I had done cover videos before, but this was the first music video. And I was just lucky that I had done a presenting job for a big microphone brand. And that combined with money I'd saved up, I'd used for it. But it also, you know, I made that. And then there was this long gap afterwards because I couldn't afford to make another music video. I mean, yeah. that really cost me a lot of money. But and that's even with favours and everything. So I'm in a place now where I'm trying to 
manage everything better. And I feel it's in a strange way, it gets a bit easier as you go along because people see what you're capable of and they see, they get it. Like they understand what direction you're going in and more people are willing to get involved or collaborate or help you along the way. So you kind of have to prove yourself a bit initially, but yeah, we, we move, we continue. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I mean, I guess, as you say, once you've created that, that identity in your field, then you can attract certain people who will come and guide you along the right path. Right? Yeah. I'm curious to hear about what goes into kind of the creative process of making music. Um, you know, I always have been. What would typically inspire you to start writing a song? I'm a writer that definitely gets inspired best by concepts. So for example, someone might call me something or I'll hear something in a film. But usually I'm thinking a lot of the songs I've written recently, they will start with a a very specific topic. And I feel that's what I need in order to create the story around it. And I'll just expand on it. But yeah, definitely a word or a sentence. And then that's it. I'm gone. (laughs) Yeah. And is that always um, the process or or does it just vary? Sometimes you wait for an idea to come to you naturally. And other times you have a concept in your head and you try to sit down and you try and work at it until it takes shape of its own. Oh, definitely. And for example, even if I have a strong concept, sometimes literally all the lyrics come out of me at one time and I'm like, thank you. Or other times I'm not happy with it yet and I'll write it again or I think, no, okay, let me just write a completely different verse or switch up a melody. And also another thing I've been trying to get better at is do sessions with other people where you are encouraged slash forced Mm -hmm. (laughs) to write in that moment. And I feel that's such a good challenge as a songwriter. And another thing I've been doing recently is writing raps and trying to do freestyles because again it's exciting it just pushes you in a different way so I feel any way you can grow as a writer try it. You've been fortunate enough to mingle with and and rub shoulders with some very successful artists in the UK music industry Um, what do you think separates a good artist from a great artist? I had one word that came straight to my mind and that was humility because I feel the legends I've met in the music game have been the most humble by far and it's so interesting to see the behavior differences. Obviously this is just a generalization and you're going to have amazing people in every step of the way but a lot of the top top people I met really lived up to it. For example Alicia Keys, Quincy Jones, Lauda Ritchie, they were just so lovely. And the way they spoke in the press conferences and the way they held themselves was just incredible to watch and see. And especially Alicia Keys, like as a vocalist, I admire her so much and also as a person. And even the other day, I was listening to a podcast she did with another presenter. And it's funny because, you know, I'm reminiscing on that while we're doing ours now because I'm like, oh, yeah. I, I get to do a podcast too. <laughs> but, um, As a person, yeah, I would say being humble. And then in terms of talent, I always really have drawn to people who just really focus on their individuality. They're not trying to copy other people. And especially with lyrics. I remember going to open mics when I was starting out. And this is so random, but I'd pick up on a fact that a lot of the songs I would hear in the open mic circuit included the same type of words. So for example, the ones I was going to, I remember the word lion just happened to be in a lot of people's songs. And I'm like, this is so weird. Like like all these people are having the same word in their songs. And I was going to so many at the time in a short space of time. Also, I feel, for example, 
people like Lana Del Rey. There's so many lines in the songs that stick out in my head. Or someone like Kendrick Lamar. I really admire people who are really skilled with their lyrics. Let's talk a bit about what's hot topic at the moment for yourself, your latest single, Moroccan Boy, <laughs> which was released earlier this week, which has already created a lot of noise on social media. Thank you. Um, <laughs> a great song, by the way. I definitely recommend our listeners to check it out. Um, how did that come about? Talk me through the process for that. So there's this amazing music producer in Morocco called DJ Van, and I have respected his work for a long time. And he introduced me to a Moroccan platform and this whole series that they've got going is a karaoke series where you cover a song. So I went on their page and I was looking at all the previous karaoke videos and a lot of them Moroccan songs or the latest one I'd seen with a guy, he was mixing French, English and the Moroccan Arabic dialect. So I was thinking, what song can I cover that will still relate to a Moroccan audience, but is also relevant to me? And DJ Bam was saying to me, well, what song do you love to sing? Like, what's the song you love to sing the most? And it's a running joke with me that pretty much every open mic I've been to, I will sing Estelle, American Boy. Like, it is just my favourite song. It always works. You just feel so good singing. It's just such a vibe. And I thought, I can't sing it again. Or could I? And then I was thinking, wait a sec. What if I switch it to Moroccan Boy and make all the lyrics about Morocco? Then it will still be relevant to them. They'll pick up on different words I'm going to include and then also my non-Moroccan followers will get it as well because they're still familiar with the song and I thought yep this is it. I included different words for example musharfin which means nice to meet you in Moroccan Arabic and in reference different places in Morocco but it was fun. I really really enjoyed switching it up and that video was a one take video shot on my iPhone by my brother using my selfie stick as a stabilizer. Like I'm talking DIY, DIY. <laughs> what feedback have you got back from your fans and your closest friends and family? I've been so happy about it, you know, because for example, I talk about Tangier and that's where my dad's from in the chorus. I reference Zagora where Omar, the music producer that I first ever worked with, that's where he's from. So it was personal to a lot of my friends and family. And at the same time, it's almost like a new anthem for, for Moroccan guys. And I, I didn't really clock it, but I looked afterwards. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm celebrating, you know, what Morocco has to offer and all the beauty of the country and the people. So yeah, I can imagine it must be going viral in Morocco right now. <laughs> it's getting get a really amazing response. And I'm very thankful for that. And how long did it take you to, to write that? It was super quick because I know that song really well and I just looked at the song and I didn't think about it too much. I just went through the lyrics and changed and changed. I didn't think about it twice. I didn't try and change words. I just wrote it in one go and that was it. And aside from your music career, you've also had a successful run as a presenter in your teens and <laughs> man managed to land some big name interviews with Sean Paul, Lionel Richie, Quincy Jones, you mentioned earlier. Um, I'd love for you to share with us that story, um, how you got into presenting at young age and how you became um, successful at that. I think there's a great message in the power of grit and determination, which we can all take away. You know what I feel I really need to highlight upon is with music and the presenting, I started with zero contacts in this industry, like no connections. And that just ultimately gave me more fire to like really go for it and to try things all the time that maybe someone who would have connections would be a bit more wary about doing. But for example, I remember when I was 16 and it was New Year's Eve and it was the London fireworks and I was with my mom and 
DJ Nahar from BBC Radio 1 was presenting inside a booth and there was all these different security around him. And my mum was like, I dare you to try and go in and interview him. I'm like, mum, have you seen all the security behind us? And she's like, just try. And I don't even know what I said. I don't even remember if I just said, oh, I've got an interview with him or pretended I did. But I got through all these different security guards and then got into the BBC lounge. And I remember Nahal kind of looking at me like thinking probably, what the hell is this girl doing here? <laughs> this is a random person inside this recording studio. And I just said, hey, I was like, oh, my name's Eve Yasmin. I'm a teen journalist and I'd really love to interview you. Is it possible I could ask you a few questions? And he said, yeah. And he was the nicest guy. But so many random things I have done, Coogan. Like, I'm looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh. I think when you're not even younger, because we can do this at any age, but naturally when you are younger, you do seem to have less fears. That I think like the less you know, the more you think is possible sometimes. You don't have any expectations. Yeah. You're not really open or receptive in terms of, you know, what's a yes or what's a no. You just do it. Just try. And I think that's a, I always try to encourage people around me to hold on to that. Always remember what made you want to start or how your behaviour was at the beginning because it just was natural to you. And how did you get into wireless? That's an interesting story as well. So I had press accreditation. Um, me and my friend Moses were working for Live Magazine at the time, which is a youth magazine in Brixton. That is no longer, but it was an amazing experience. And we got some accreditation, which gave us a certain amount of access. But all the really big artists were in a private section. And I'd already tried to get in, which absolutely failed on its head. And I was in the crowd one of the other days, and I got chatting to a music manager in the crowd. And he was like, oh, why don't you like just join us backstage? We're going to go there in a bit. You know, we're hanging out with all these people, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, my wristband doesn't give me that access. I'm only my press sections a bit separate from yours. And he's like, oh, no, just come. And the same security, the same security guard <laughs> didn't realise it was me again. And I just wore my cap a bit further down. I swear, Coogan, I don't know what it is with me and security. Yeah. <laughs> and then I got through with no wristband, no wristband. And then I remember going in and I see Snoop Dogg and Rita Ora and 2 Chains and we're like, yeah, Justin Timberlake, Jay-Z. And I just remember thinking, damn, like I'm around all these top artist right now and I shouldn't even be here and I just remember feeling so excited but also so scared that I was gonna get caught and I just kind of used this cap I was wearing to kind of hide my identity a bit I guess (laughs) but that was surreal just to suddenly be around so many artists at the same time and I just all those experiences I had as a writer for when I was writing for magazines and blogging, etc., just reminds me of what is possible. You know, always try, always contact that person, always, you know, try to go to this event because yes, you will get so many no's, but sometimes it works. And that one connection you make that day could open so many doors. You just never know, but just keep pushing and growing. Absolutely. It's a great message. And I always say, if you don't ask, the answer is always going to be no, right? Exactly. Yeah, so true. It would be fair to say that the journey up until now hasn't been easy, right? But you've also previously spoken about your long-term battle with um, fibromyalgia for many years, a chronic pain syndrome. Yes. Um, to have achieved what you have through all of this is very admirable, especially given it's a condition that can directly affect what you do, i.e. dancing and performing. Yeah. Um, could you talk a bit about that? And if there was ever a point where, you know, you went to sleep at night thinking this is just all too much, um, is it time to call it a day? Or have you ever questioned, you know, what you're doing and the longevity of it? I feel when you've got a medical condition like this, you can 
can go about it either way. You can either give in to it and let it control your life, or you can accept you've got it and think, I'm going to find every possible way to make my life as positive as possible and not let this take over me and embrace it. And for example, there's a girl I've been in touch with for years now. She reached out to me after seeing in an article that I spoke about fibromyalgia. And she's just created a blog about it now. And she's creating a video for like an awareness of fibromyalgia. But it's amazing how much more known it is now and how many more people have awareness. People like Lady Gaga have spoken openly about it. And I feel that really helps for anyone who's got a medical condition because growing up in school, a thing I found difficult to deal with was teachers didn't understand. People around you didn't understand. They feel like you're lying or making things up, especially when you look to them fine and that was difficult because I was in a lot of pain and you just don't know how to explain yourself to people and even a lot of doctors didn't initially know how to diagnose it or what label to give it and when I finally did have a label I was like thankfully I can actually explain myself properly to people now and at least they'll kind of accept it. It is hard I'm also at the same time grateful that you know It's this type of condition and not as extreme and unfortunate as so many other people experience. But I am in pain all the time and I do have down days and I do have days where I can't be as productive as I'd like to be. And I feel like anyone going through that, don't beat yourself up, (laughs) you know, be kind to yourself and always try to focus on the things that you can do and what can make you happier. So for me, I don't respond to medication. But distraction is my biggest saviour. So doing things like music really takes my mind off it as much as possible. And that's another reason why I love music so much. Yeah, no, that's a great message. And, you know, we've spoken about gratitude. How much of kind of gratitude comes into your life? Um, I know you're a big person when it comes to being daily grateful. Honestly, every single day I wake up and go to sleep. And that's my first thought. I wake up and say, I'm grateful for today. I'm grateful for my life. And I go to sleep with the same thought. I feel if you implement more and more gratitude into your life, you will just ultimately feel so much more positive and happier. For me, there's a life coach called Jenny Winnett and she helped me from when I was like 11 years old. And I remember one of the first things she taught me was to write down on a piece of paper the things I was grateful for. As simple as I'm able to breathe, I'm able to see, I'm able to hear, I have my family or I have a roof over my head, you know, really take it down to the root and the core of the basic things in your life first. And then you find yourself creating a longer and longer list. And I feel like if we all practice that, we would be in a better headspace. And for example, this pandemic situation we're in right now, coronavirus, it's horrible. And it's really awful to see what's happening around the world and how many people we've lost. But if we look at the other side of it, this time period that a lot of us have, obviously key workers are still going into work, but let's just focus on the people who are at home right now. I've been speaking to so many different people and especially freelancers, because I'm surrounded by a lot of freelancers. We've been having different discussions and I feel some of us really taking advantage of the situation. Like, right, I'm going to do loads of collaborations. I'm going to write things I've never written before. I'm going to try this, try that. And I feel that's so healthy. And I feel other people have you know, fallen into the negative headspace, which of course is easy to do. Like, how am I going to pay my bills? But for example, myself, I mean, I am in such a better headspace than I was working a full-time job because I'm thinking, right, 
I'm going to use this time to be as productive as I can, to write way more than ever, to get loads of content, to build up my social profile. I feel if you can get into that headspace, you just will automatically see a difference in your productivity and the results of everything you're doing. So I would recommend it. What's your message to anyone out there who has a talent they want to develop or have aspirations and dreams they want to pursue, but feel taking that first step just seems too daunting or the risk of failure is too overwhelming? I would say go for it because you will only get better. If you look at my older videos, yeah, even like things like styling, singing ability, everything, like we all start somewhere. But trust me, the more and more you do, you're going to get so much better and when you do reach your final destination if there is if you even consider there to be one just one day you will notice how much of an improvement you've made but don't be afraid of it and also don't be afraid of online trolls because online trolls are unfortunately it, they exist in every part of your life it's not just music it's not just the creative world there are people in a negative headspace that need a lot more love and help around the world than just online and that should never stop you from doing what you want to do if something really fulfills you and makes you happy you should go for it I just feel like there's a reason why you feel that way so do it just follow your own inner compass right and just go for it you've got to take the first step yes what's next for Eve Yasmin what projects do you have in the pipeline so next week I have a live session coming out for this YouTube channel called LDN Features and I did a session with them in January and that's my first live session video with a full band so I've performed Glow Up with them and I've done a cover of Snow Allegra who's an incredible artist her song Whoa and they've also done an interview as well so I've got that coming out I'm in the process of writing a lot of new music And once this is all over, and once I can get some money together, then I have two songs lined up that I want to shoot music videos for, including Femme Fatale, which is the debut song of my debut EP. And I'm so excited about this one. It's inspired by James Bond. It's very cinematic. And it's just a whole different sound to anything anyone's heard of my stuff before. So I'm really looking forward to sharing it. Great. And where can people find your work and follow your journey? So you can find me under Eve Yasmin. Most of my socials like Instagram and YouTube, it's at Eve Yasmin. So E-V-E-Y-A-S-M-I-N-E. And I spell my name with a hyphen in the middle. So for example, on SoundCloud, it would be Eve hyphen Yasmin. Great stuff. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Me too. (laughs) Fantastic. Awesome. There you have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed this podcast with Eve Yasmin. I truly feel there's something we could all take from an inspiring story. Whether you're aspiring to be a musician, successful entrepreneur, or a professional athlete, one of the key takeaways is just to keep at it and never give up. Thank you for listening and make sure to tune into the next episode of the Maverick on air.